0: Hey, good morning. good morning. How you doing? We all lost about five pounds of water weight this week, didn't we? <laughs> Except for all the ice cream we ate, probably put it right back on our water ice. It's good to see you. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Brad, and I'm the senior pastor here, and I would love to meet you. So you'll notice in the bulletin there's an invitation for coffee, hot or iced, whatever is your preference. Uh, any time during the week. So just let me know. I would love to meet you. If you're newer to the church and just want to learn a bit more or meet me or, or just have a free cup of coffee and maybe uh, a muffin or something, take advantage. Uh, and uh, the church would love to take you out for that, and I would love to meet you. So shoot me an email, okay? Okay? All right. And hey, if we haven't caught up in a long time, we can do that too. So, the first week of this series, we started by watching uh, what I thought was a funny video. I don't know if you guys remember it. It it was a video about put pocketing. You guys remember that? Or do you know what that is? Uh, It's where you try and sneak up on someone and put money into their pocket or their bag. And if you're able to get away with it, you kind of get a point, and it's these two comedians, and it's a, sort of like a comedians on the street thing. So it's about putting money into people's pockets, and I really like that. I thought that was funny. So I thought this week, as we're wrapping up our series, that I might do the same thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about stress this week. So I thought, let me find a funny video about stress. <laughs> so I started watching all these videos about people who lose it at work. Maybe you've seen these. I watched about 30 of them. (laughs) So there's the one where the guy, uh, he launches his monitor over the cubicle. You can't really tell what's going wrong because it's just like a security camera at work. Just launches his monitor. There's the guy who uh, gets blasted with toner and then goes ballistic on the copy machine. Uh, There's also the one uh, where the woman, apparently, she's talking too loud on her phone, so her coworker rips her phone out of the wall. You seen that one? So as, you can, as I'm watching your faces, you, I'm kind of thinking just you're having a little bit of the same response and reaction that I did as I was watching all of these. And the problem I ran into is that watching all these clips kind of stressed me out. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it, I, I giggled and I smiled, but afterwards I felt worse. So I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to start a sermon by showing one of those. And the truth is that although most of us don't get to the point of punching holes in walls, usually, or throwing monitors. I think we really carry around a lot of stress and anxiety and worry, right? So how are you doing? Uh, not a show of hands, but you can clap if you want to, <laughs> now that you want to celebrate this. But who here is stressed? Let me hear a little something. All right, well, okay, that's about 85 to 95%. How, how many people are tired? Come on. All right. How many people consider yourselves busy? Oh, I thought that would get more. That's the, you know, the last 10 years, that's become the how you doing. Instead of saying uh, okay or fine, people say, oh, I'm busy. That's the new common somewhat meaningless response. Um, But the truth is stress is a big thing in our culture today. And I got to be honest, like sometimes... I feel very stressed. So let me give you a little update. So on the 27th, uh, Beck and I sold our home of 15 years. And about two months earlier, we purchased what is our new home and hired someone uh, to do some renovations, right? So I think you can tell where this is going already. (laughs) What happened was a lot of demo happened. But not a lot of, like, uh, undemo. What's that called? Construction. (laughs) So, by the time we sold our house on the 27th, our new house had no kitchen. Nothing was finished that was supposed to be, and everything, and we learned more about this as the weeks progressed, everything that was done, everything had to be redone. None of it was done right. So, in the end... It felt a lot like just flushing a lot of money down the toilet uh, and having to start from scratch. So that doesn't feel good. But then, when you have two toddlers and you have nowhere to stay on the 28th, that's a little stressful too. So fortunately, we have some gracious friends. We stay with friends. We have gracious family. Uh, we went. And st- uh, I stayed here, and Beck and the kids went up to Massachusetts for a while. Um, But we've been figuring it out as we go because the house has no kitchen and it's too dusty to move toddlers into. Oh, and did I mention that my job here is wrapping up soon (laughs) and that I haven't been able to line up a new job yet? So prayers welcome, references welcome. So here I am, armed with a new, larger mortgage, uncertain future earnings, While I wait for our new house to be ready to be moved into, I'm a little stressed. And quite honestly, if you were to say to me what Jesus says to his listeners in the passage we're going to read today, namely, don't worry, I think I'd be tempted to pop you in the nose. (laughs) That's not what I want to hear. I am worried. And sometimes hearing, don't worry, seems insensitive or unhelpful. And no one has done that to me. But Jesus does this, and it seems to work. So this week, as we wrap up our series on generosity, we're going to look at Jesus' encouragement to folks who want to experience life as it's meant to be. And we've said that a major theme in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures is that humanity was created in God's image. And one of the major implications of that is that to experience life as it's meant to be experienced, uh, we do that when we reflect who God is because that's how, who, who and what we were made to be and do. And so when we make choices uh, or when we slide into patterns that don't reflect who God is, Uh, we start to miss out on the experience of life and what it should be in the here and the now. So one of the things that God clearly is throughout scriptures, he is described as generous, extremely generous. And so we've been talking about how we can incorporate and learn to be generous because of the culture that we've come up in, we are programmed or, or trained not to be generous, We're in a consumeristic culture where to give is to lose. So how can we learn how to be generous so that we can tap into what it means to be human and made in God's image so that we can enjoy all that life is meant to be and all that we're created to be? So that's what we've been looking at. And this week we're going to look at what Jesus says to his followers who are trying to lean into that. They want to be generous. Uh, They're following Jesus. They've left everything to follow him, many of them. And they want to lean into this, but they're also realizing what it would take. And they're getting stressed out. So to them, this happens. Uh, Then Jesus said to them, this is Luke chapter 12. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat. Or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. Now, there's a lot in this passage. I'm not even going to pretend like we're going to get to all of it. But there are a few things that I think can be particularly helpful to us considering what we've been talking about for the last six weeks. Um, One is an important principle, and I think at least what I'm calling important keys or understandings uh, for how we can live a life uh, free or much less more much less impacted by worry. So the principle and four foundations, which happen to all start with Fs. I don't know if that's helpful for you or annoying, but there's a foundation, function, faith, and a focus to avoid worrying. So first the principle. I think that to Jesus, it's more about quality than quantity. Not that both aren't important, but more about quality than quantity. So if you look closely at the examples he chooses, Jesus promises that God is eager to meet our needs and do it in really excellent ways. So in verse 24, Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? So I think the point he's making here is about quantity God will provide. If he provides for the needs of birds, surely, Jesus's point is, he'll provide for your needs. He'll provide for our needs as well. So quantity isn't going to be a problem. Next in verse 27, he says, Consider how the lilies grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So now we're talking not just about material needs. We're talking about beauty, And I think here God provides a beautiful life for flowers, even flowers that will last only a short time and then be used for fuel. And if he does this, the argument is, surely the life that he provides for you will be beautiful as well. So quality won't be a problem. And I think it's important that Jesus specifically addresses both quantity and quality because so often, I think without thinking, We assume that if we have quantity, that quality will naturally follow, right? But that's not necessarily the case. Kanye West once said, the people highest up got the lowest (laughs) self-esteem. Lots of quantity, no quality. Notice what Jesus says in verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. So we can have all these material things, all that we could need or want and not have a full life. I think most people intellectually, we tap into this these days. Like most of the people I talk to don't think if they have a lot of stuff, they're going to be happy. But in our hearts, we make choices that betray what we really believe. And I think this is why uh, this command, do not worry, is actually a loving command. I wish I could hear Jesus's voice and how he says it, because I know how I feel day to day, especially during the season. I know how I would feel if someone told me to chill out. He doesn't say chill out, but he says, don't worry. It can't have that chill out feel. It's got to have some kind of compassion in the inflection, because I think this is a loving command. Four times in this passage, we're told not to worry. I think one of the reasons that Jesus gives this command is because it's an issue of quality. Worry saps the quality from our lives. So a few years ago, uh, there was a writer from the uh, American, or excuse me, the Associated Press, named Justine Blau, and she wrote this article entitled "Why Stress Kills." And so what they did it was a study that followed 119 men and women in the high-stress position of being the sole caregiver for a spouse with dementia, a very stressful place to be in life. And what they did is they did blood tests, and those blood tests showed that a chemical called, I wonder if somebody's heard of this, there might be some chemistry called interleukin-6. Anybody heard of that? Why would you, right? So for short, they call it IL-6. They say that Uh, it's sharply increased in the blood of stressed caregivers compared to the blood of other people in the test. And what that means is that this IL-6 is something that in previous tests has been linked and correlated to things like heart disease, arthritis, osteoporosis, type 2 diabetes, and even certain types of cancer. So the article pointed out that when people are stressed, they tend to respond by not only producing more of this chemical, but doing things that lend themselves to producing more of this chemical, like uh, smoking, smoking increases it, overeating, sleeping less, avoiding exercise. Hmm, some of those sound familiar. And the idea is that the whole, the, the, the whole article is that stress kills, it saps the quality and also, I think, some of the quantity of life, very literally. So when Jesus gives the command, do not worry, he does it out of compassion, and then he doesn't just leave it hanging. Like It's not like just, oh, don't worry, get over it. Let's uh, play video games or go do something else. He actually gives some instructions on how to live it out. So how do we avoid worry? And I think also these are some, come back to some key ideas of this whole series. So if you can remember these, I think you will take with you the main ideas of the last six weeks. And also, I'm putting things a little bit in, in terms of questions to follow the points so that you can check in with yourself and see how you're doing. I think it will make more sense as we go along. So first, there's this foundation that I think Jesus points to here, and that is know your value. A major part of Jesus' argument for why we shouldn't worry is this. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And this, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? The point here is that you personally have great value to God. And we talk a lot about mission in our church. We've talked about how God gives in this series so that we can give. And we're like a conduit towards loving and blessing and encouraging other people. A few weeks ago, I even said, it's not about you. It's about God and his mission. But I want to make sure that I don't miscommunicate the very important part of this statement, namely that you personally are one of those precious things that God wants to renew. You have value to God, because of who you are, not because of what you do. God wants to renew your life, provide for your needs, because he does care for you as a person. You have value. And let's not begin to think that because we have a role to play in God's mission, that that role is all we're good for. God loves and cares for us as people. Simple idea, right? Right? And part of his mission is to communicate that to us individually and take care of us even as we partner with him to renew the rest of the world. And this is the foundation that Jesus offers for the sense of our personal worth that God says we're valuable. I like how the early church father, Paul, describes this dynamic Uh, in a letter that he wrote to a church in Rome. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? This when I was a 19 year old, this is one of the first verses I ever tried to commit to memory. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus? Who died more than that was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And you should look it up and keep reading from there because it's beautiful. And I think this passage is there to encourage us to ask this question, which I think can be an ongoing check in, health, take our pulse type of question in life. And that is who am I? What's my identity? Where do I find my value? Am I finding my value in something that is good and sustaining and encouraging beyond even what I can control? True, living generously, while always a risk, comes from a place of internal security. And the love of God is meant to define who we are and nothing else. Next, the function. And here's a reminder of what I just said a moment ago that I don't want to get out of whack, but there is a mission. So verse 31 says, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So the emphasis is on finding what God is doing, his kingdom, what he's renewing, where he's at work, and how we're meant to contribute to that. What is God's mission in West Philly? What is God's mission in my school? What is God's mission on my block? What is God's, what's he doing at work, my coworkers' lives? It can be freeing to have a sense of knowing what you're supposed to be doing in life. When you're confident in what you're doing, that's a stress reliever. And so a good question to come back to in our lives is how can I invest what God's given me? The good generosity test. How can I invest what God has given me? Let me point out something I love how Jesus communicates this point. So it sounds like to me that the key word here is seek. Jesus doesn't tell us to find the kingdom. He tells us to seek it. And I think what this indicates, among other things, is that the charge to us is to seek. But the actual finding comes through grace. In other words, we may... In other words, we make... What God is doing in our lives is the first priority, but we don't have to have everything figured out. And this can be really reassuring as well. So if for whatever reason you don't know what you're doing with your life right now, and I think that's probably a lot of us, let me encourage you. God is more interested in getting you from point A to point B in your life than you are. And I've met a lot, I think maybe I should... uh, I think I'm talking to myself here. God isn't asking us to find his will. He's asking us to seek his will. And he'll make sure we get where we need to be. We can't accidentally miss God's will, I don't think. I think we can ignore God or see it, decide not to follow him. But that's basically not seeking. Or we can seek, and when God shows us something, lean in. But the pressure is not on us to understand everything. And this freedom to not know can lift a huge burden off of us and give us the freedom to build generosity in general into our lives without the pressure of figuring it all out. God will give us causes, specific moments to give to, to be generous with. But we can be free to build an ongoing lifestyle of generosity as well. And the key is simply to do our best, to seek to look for what God is doing and give towards that and also to find ways to build giving into our lives in an ongoing fashion. Third thing here, a faith. We're in, a, we're in a church, faith. And what I want to say is this is more than positive thinking when we talk about faith. He says, oh, you have a little faith. And Sometimes I think we think faith is just thinking positively or hoping for the best. And the term keep the faith is used often to encourage people not to give up. That's not a bad thing at all. I really value optimism. In fact, usually in my life, I'm optimistic to a fault. But we make a mistake if we equate optimism with faith. They're not the same thing. In the Bible, faith means more than hoping for the best. It means literally to put your weight on something, to lean on it. And it's seen by the actions that a person takes. Jesus often asks people to take dramatic action. And in this passage, he encourages people with little faith to sell what they have and give it to the poor. And he encourages them towards this by asking them to have more faith, to trust that God values them, that God will take care of them and has a purpose for their lives. Look in verse 32. You know, this is more than positive thinking. And I think if you take this passage out of context, it can seem super simplistic, right? Sort of an approach that could be summarized as just trust in God, everything will work out. I think it's helpful to remember that this teaching of Jesus comes in the context of a whole body of teachings from Jesus. In other parts of Scripture, Jesus promises in this world you will have trouble. And says later in Luke that those who follow him will be persecuted. So Jesus himself faces many troubles and is put to death by crucifixion, which we we all remember. But in a world where we face hard times, how can we face them without being overwhelmed by stress? How can we continue to give when our instinct may be to pull back and go into protection mode? Our hope, I think, is that in tragedy can come some beauty. In loss, we can see God's provision. You know, sometimes, from time to time, I give the invitation uh, to our congregation to send me stories of generosity in your lives or something else. This series is generosity. And uh, sometimes I'll ask for stories of risky generosity. And I was struck by one story that came into my inbox. And what struck me about it was that it wasn't a tidy, happy, just have faith, everything will work out story. It was a real story full of pain in the face of tragedy. This is that—I mean, that I mean, that is real life. So a woman wrote to me, and, and after recounting a beautiful, generous gift that her father had given her, she went on to explain a risk that their family took together. On to the risk, she writes. My family began plans that same year to adopt. And God gave us two children, a five-year-old sister and a seven-year-old brother. And then three days before my parents were to receive the children, my dad was tragically killed on October 9th in a car accident when a driver fell asleep at the wheel and hit him head on. Devastated, the first question in our minds was, or were, what about the kids? We left it up to God, unsure if we would still be allowed to adopt them. And to our surprise, the doors were still wide open, and on Christmas Day, my mom and my brother adopted these two children. We followed God's leading, unsure of the financial results of the loss of my dad, but we believed God was bigger than our financial worries. Two weeks ago, my mom had her meeting with the insurance people, and we found that God was more generous than we could have ever imagined. Not only will my mom never have to work, but my new brother and sister will never have to worry about schooling or their future. And we as a family have followed God's leading through the last year through life and loss, celebration and heartache. And God has provided beyond anything we could ever hope, could have ever hoped or expected. And we see this, we see through this generosity that we will be able to give to others and take care of ourselves. We would still rather have my dad back, but God is good and he takes care of us. I think the message of Christ is not that if we have faith, everything will work out. I think the message of Christ is that if we trust, even in tragedy, and tragedies come, beauty can follow. Even in loss, we can see provision. And so sort of the generosity pulse question here is, can I trust? Can I trust? And to the followers who are unsure, Jesus says in verse 32 Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And he encourages his followers to have faith by pointing them back to the character and the nature of God. So he points out five things. We see God the shepherd. Do not be afraid, little flock. So God is our protector. We see God the father. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So we see that God cares for us and loves us as children. We see God the king. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So he has the resources to take care of us. We also see God the giver. Jesus says he has been uh, pleased to give. So he's generous and free with his resources. And finally, God's happy. Your father has been pleased to give. He enjoys giving. This is the basis, I think, of our faith. The reason that we can lean on God is that he's protecting, joyous, giving, loving parent with the resources to do anything. And I think this brings us really to the crux of our six-week series. We look at one more instruction from Jesus. This is what I'm referring to as the focus. And it says, choose your treasure Choose your treasure. Verse 33, Jesus says, Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. And this is famous and powerful. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this is what it all comes down to. What we choose to focus our lives on, our treasure, determines where our hearts will be. And the thing that tells us who we are, the thing that gives us a sense of purpose and mission, the thing that we rely on in hard times, that is where we focus our lives. That's our treasure. The message of Jesus in this passage is that God is the one to focus. On the one treasure that can really protect, care, and provide for us generously and with pleasure. He's the treasure. And in a very practical way, generosity helps us focus in His direction. And the message of this series is really one of opportunity the opportunity to know God in a deeper way by reflecting who He is through generosity. So the final pulse-taking question is this, to ask yourself, what will last? What is the treasure that will last? What is worth investment? So that in the weeks to come, and the years to come, as our faith ebbs and flows, let me suggest that we ask ourselves these four questions that stay on track. Who am I? How can I invest what God has given me Can I trust what will last? And I hope and I think that these types of questions can keep our hearts focused on the treasure that we really want. And also, as a particular application, especially if you consider yourself part of this church and this community or regular. Uh, We've been asking the same question for three or four weeks, and this week I want you to actually fill in the blank. So I know it's a summer, you've probably been in or out, in and out of town, but the question we've been asking is this transition year, I commit to give blank a month to support the community and mission of Mosaic Community Church. Here's why I'm having you ask yourself this question and make this commitment. Uh, And a lot, the rule of thumb is that when a pastor moves on, particularly if that pastor is a founding pastor, uh, sometimes people get scared, they pull back. And in the area of generosity, particularly in finances, there can be a wait and see type of attitude. And at the very moment when we need to lean in together and support each other, sometimes Historically, in churches, people pull back. Now, I also know that in our church, things that have tended to divide people, uh, rules of thumb, don't always play out. That hasn't always been our experience. Um, and usually, almost by accident, although there's certainly a lot of intentionality going on. But in this case, I want us to be very specific and very intentional. To lean in first, to support everyone in this room first, First, not have a wait-and-see attitude, but to commit and plan to financial giving for the next transition year so that not only do we support our community, but whoever the next pastor that comes in uh, has all the opportunities uh, to invest in you and our community and succeed. So, I don't know, last four or five weeks, I've been having this question. I'm saying, oh, I'll just leave it blank, just leave it blank. Today, I want you to write a number in there. How are you going to support this community in the next year? How are you going to support this community financially per month? And remember, none of this is going in my pocket. I'm getting no salary here, but I love this church, and I love this community, and I know you do too. So take a moment, put a real number in there, and I'm just going to pause. Stretch yourselves. Exercise some faith. Okay. Next, tell a friend. In an email, this is what I feel like God's telling me to do. This is the commitment I'm making. So it's not just in your head. It's not just on your piece of paper. But uh, it's real because you told somebody, and they can ask you about it later. Can you do that? All right. Let's pray. It's so easy to talk about not worrying uh, but if we're honest, man, it's not easy to do. And I think every person, most people in this room at least, uh, in our heads, we, uh, we believe you're a good God and that you're trustworthy and you care about us, that we're worth more than birds and grass. But man, in our hearts, it's just scary sometimes. Sometimes. So I pray in our daily lives you make us sensitive to the good things that you're doing around us so we can see that you're at work in our lives and that can uh, build our faith, uh, bring some peace to our souls and our hearts. Bless any risks that we're taking in life, any sacrifices that we've made. May we find you in your presence and your provision. In Jesus' name, amen.